on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on another beautiful day here in the Auburn Opelika area. Sun is shining. Temperature is just about perfect here in Auburn and Opelika. Hope you're all doing well on this Friday, April 14th, 2023. This is On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He is Carter Bird, and you've got us for the next two hours right here on ESPN 106. Six, seven. Lots to talk about today. Uh, the transfer portal opening up tomorrow for college football. We've already seen some surprises get or announce that they're going to enter the transfer portal. A big one from Auburn. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show today. Talk about what we could see from the transfer portal for Auburn. Some teams around the SEC and in college football. So we'll talk about that coming up later on in the show. We'll talk some baseball as well as Auburn baseball heads to Tuscaloosa this weekend to try and get back on track, man. They Auburn has got to find something and figure it out in Tuscaloosa this weekend. Also, the Atlanta Braves, uh, they've got a series again this weekend, so we'll talk about that a little bit as well. But, uh, Carter, happy Friday, man. It's not raining. I know it's it's hard to believe, but that fe- seems like it's been the story the last month around here, is that it's Every either raining. Every weekend is miserable. Yes, I've talked about it many times on this program. But guess what? There is no rain in the forecast tomorrow morning. I think possibly tomorrow night, but tomorrow it's not supposed to rain, I don't think think as far as i know but i could be wrong yeah i know it's it's certainly um i think we're gonna have a a fun weekend which is great because i'm gonna try to play some golf and i have a wedding i'm going to uh outdoor wedding at lake martin so yeah you're really hoping for no rain huh you're definitely hoping for a dry weekend while hoping for a dry afternoon and evening down at Central Phoenix City as Auburn High Baseball has a doubleheader today. It was supposed to be last night. The rain pushed it back to today. And so uh, Scott Bagwell will be at Central Phoenix City for a doubleheader for Auburn High School Baseball. That'll begin at 4 o'clock on 96.3 W. Lee. You can tune in as the Auburn High School Tigers taking on their rival Central Phoenix City, the Red Devils of Central Phoenix City. So that all gets underway at 4 o'clock over on 96.3 W. Lee for a doubleheader. You can join Scott Bagwell on the call for that. But busy weekend in baseball, especially with the Atlanta Braves and Earlier uh, in the Braves Today podcast, the new Braves Today podcast, Lindsey Crosby, a good friend of the show, we had him on yesterday and had some really interesting conversations about baseball, about the Braves, about Auburn a little bit. Him and Ben Taylor, host of Auburn Opelika this morning on our sister station, News Talk WANI 98.7, they host the Braves Today podcast and had some good things to say previewing the Atlanta Braves series coming up this weekend. So they were kind enough to let us use that audio from their podcast, so we're going to actually play that for you right now. This is, again, the Braves Today podcast with good friend of the show, Lindsey Crosby, and Ben Taylor, host of Auburn Up Alike this morning on News Talk WANI 98.7. So sit back, relax as those two gentlemen uh, preview the series for Atlanta, talk about some injury updates for them as well. So this is the Braves Today podcast with Lindsey Crosby and Ben Taylor. 
It's the Braves Today podcast. You can find it at bravestoday.com or on the Twitter at Braves underscore today. Lindsey Crosby with me and... Lindsay, we talked about it last time. We kind of previewed what everybody was thinking. Mm-hmm. And that one thing is that left field is kind of a disaster right now. Um, let's th- put that on the back burner. So not left field is, is a disaster as much as Ozuna is by far. I think you and I could probably swing the bat better than what he's doing right now. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you would think he would get a bleeder, uh, something as hard as he swings, that something would just fall. Uh, he's batting less than 100, so forget about Mendoza line. Let's just talk about actually, like he's barely, he he barely has a, a a B average if he's in school right now. Like he would he would almost be in in the C slash D level. <laughs> it's it's worse than that. Let me give you some stats real quick on this oh, while we boy. while we have time. Okay, Marcel Ozuna's OPS this year is 445. Hmm. Max Fried's career OPS is 542. Max Freed in 2021 had a 649 OPS, the last year that pitchers were hitting, mm-hmm. while Marcelo Zuna in 2021 had a 645. It gets better. I mean, Max Freed, in his defense, was a silver slugger. Freed gets worse for Ozuna. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Freed at least was a silver slugger uh, on right. or pitching, although Ozuna won silver slugger for National League DH, the very first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, 36 at-bats for Marcelo Zuna. 083 average, two homers, two RBIs, 457 OPS. I'm going to give you a player, 32 at-bats, 219 average, two home runs, six RBIs, 656 OPS. Player two is Huascar Yanoa, the pitcher in 2021. I didn't even know you know I had a home run or at least or two. He had two for the matter. How about that? He, he had two. It's Marcelo Zuna is literally you would literally be doing better if you had a pitcher in the lineup versus Marcelo Zuna. Like that's how bad he has been. And Brian Sicker said after the game he had a good spring, but this is what counts. And said that for now they intend to keep playing him. And it's. There is a cap on the ceiling of this team as long as Marcelo Zuna is batting under 100 and he gets yeah. playtime. He gets four or five starts a week. It's just it's a dead hole in the offense. He has three hits on the year. Two of them are home runs, solo shots. One of them is a single. You've got to do something. Yeah, because it, the thing is, even in the position he is in, the one issue that the Braves have right now is when he's up, there's usually somebody on, and he doesn't do anything. He's not even moving runners over. He's not touching the ball. You gave that statistic a couple of pods ago where you were talking about how he's he's leading the league and missing it balls within the zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pitchers don't have to throw around him. It's like, here it is. You can't touch it. So I'm just going to count it as an out. It's like an old National League lineup where if you had somebody on and the pitcher came up and there was two outs, you just went ahead and were like, yeah, we're going to get the out and we're good. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is now with Marcelo Zuna. Uh, his at-bats are at the point where he's unplayable. And he was already pretty much unplayable as an outfielder. And now he's reached that point as a designated hitter. And at this point, you have to eat the money and just get rid of him. Yeah, he's, he's a thirty-plus million-dollar liability that you can't trade for him. You'd mentioned to me before that the Braves have already tried that, and no takers. Yeah. It, did, it did not go through. Last year, the Braves tried to make a trade for either Madison Bumgarner from the Diamondbacks or Patrick Corbin of the Nationals, who both were some of the worst starting pitchers in baseball last year. Atlanta tried to trade for both of those guys and couldn't do it. 
the teams did not accept Marcelo Zuna in return. And at, at, at this point, you've got to eat the money. You've got to get rid of him. I don't know who would DH. I'm not sure. You can figure that out. But literally anybody on the roster would do a better job than Marcelo Zuna's been doing. Well, Darno, we may see him come back. He's on the concussion protocol. We, mm-hmm. we could see him over the weekend. Uh, other than that, uh, he would be your DH. Plus, we need him back in the lineup to give Murphy some, some breaks from behind the plate. Speaking of Murphy, welcome to Atlanta, Mr. Murphy. Absolutely love seeing what he did. He got uh, hit, hit the walk off. I mean, honestly, just looked nice and casual and smooth around the bases. He knew what was coming when he got home, uh, got the water. It was great. Uh, it, it's We've been saying for a while, he's hitting the ball hard. They're going to start falling. They started to fall. He had a great homestand. Feel really good about where Sean Murphy is. A couple of hits at the end, at the end of the series as well to wrap things up against the, the Cincinnati Reds where he was able to get a couple of more RBIs. Uh, also hustling around the bases, uh, something that you don't usually see out of a catcher, but he's got a little bit more speed than, say, a Darneau or any other catcher in Major League Baseball. I mean, he's just built a little different. He's that long, lanky, kind of skinny-type catcher uh, that – the kid that you know was probably the super athlete on all of his teams, Little League, Babe Ruth, high school, and all that. And so oh, yeah. he ended up being a catcher and it working out better for him. Final stats for Sean Murphy for the homestand six of 22, four doubles, a home <laughs> run, five RBIs, eight walks, and a walk off. See, that's not a bad way to start your career in Atlanta. So uh, he will continue and uh, hopefully things will roll over into Kansas City as well. And we called it last weekend, didn't get it, but we get it the first this week, or at least I did, get the sweep. So that's always good to get a sweep of any team that you're playing. Especially one that you struggled with so much last year, I, you know, as far as losing that opening series to the Reds at home, struggling so much like you did, and having coming off of that Padres series where we thought it was going to be a 3-1 win or a 4 nothing win, and you dropped the series to come back and uh, battle in those games the way you did and end up winning all three has to be great momentum for the guys. Much deserved day off on Thursday. First day day off they've had since the day after opening day. Uh, and then getting ready to head to Kansas City. You have to feel good about where Atlanta is uh, because you have guys expected to come back from the IL. You mentioned Darno. Michael Harris is expected to come back. Mm-hmm. Max Freed's been doing uh, work, including fielding practice. And mm-hmm. the, the, the common belief is he may be able to come back without a rehab start. And so you may be getting Max Freed back soon and plugging guys back into this lineup that's been able to make it happen despite missing some guys over the last couple days or so. Another guy that continues to be a stud, and you even heard the uh, back when Atlanta played the, played the Padres, uh, Machado talked about it as well as other players have talked about it. Acuna continues to shine, continues to have uh, great at bats, still playing well defensively out in the outfield. Uh, he's a guy that is just Atlanta's going to lean on again. I'm just knock on wood. He he's I want him to be healthy all year. I have noticed on some of the shallow fly balls, he's not just gone all out which I'm fine with because they're, they're probably going to drop anyway. And mm-hmm. so that's keeping him from, I don't know, just you know tweaking a hammy or doing something to an ankle that he rolls or doing something to a wrist from him laying out. I, I do appreciate the hustle. I'm glad he's doing a better job of reading 
hey, we're up four to nothing. I may not need to crash into the wall in order to to, to save something. Instead, he's holding back until he needs it, and then he's he's showing up. Yeah, and part of that comes from just seeing things around the league. Adam Duvall, his former teammate, coming in to make a catch in Boston in center field, breaks his wrist. That's always an awkward play for an infielder running in and having to slide. So I understand and appreciate him being a little more cautious. Fun stat here, the list of players in MLB with 20-plus hits and 5-plus stolen bases right now is one person, Ronald Acuna Jr. (laughs) MVP season already. I know it's early, way too early predictions, but as as other players from around the league have said, he could be the face of baseball. Uh, He's actually got a couple of new endorsement deals. I've seen some commercials watching some of the games that he's been doing, so good for him on that. And uh, it looks like he continues to shine for the Braves. So other takeaways from the Cincinnati uh, sweep and and what you saw, I I did – I thought the pitchers did a little bit better. Sometimes it may not show up in the run co- in the in the uh, it showed up in the win column, not necessarily the run column and what they allowed. But some of those hits were not hard hit balls. They got a lot of blue pits. Did Cincinnati and and so uh, the pitchers didn't look bad. They just the walks. I think we got to be cut down. Other than that, mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, as far as you know, guys squaring up a ball, they're doing a good job of having some movement and being able to get some outs. Yeah, Kyle Wright looked a little bit rusty when he first came back, but still pitched well enough, you know, for the Braves to win the game. Spencer Strider struggled a little bit, especially velocity-wise early in the outing. Rick Kranitz came out and talked to him, and Strider gave him all the credit afterwards, you know, in in essence, telling him to stop screwing around and just go pitch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Looked much better after that. He said he had been trying to pace himself a little too much so he could go deeper into the start. Kranitz said, just let it eat. We'll take care of whatever's left after you're done. And so he went out there, looked like a different pitcher after that. You have to feel good about, obviously, what you saw from the staff, getting the game, keeping the game within reach as it got to the bullpen, even if you did have to come back and walk it off later. And Orlando Garcia taking the fastball to the wrist, but it appears, based on what the team has said, uh, no lingering injury there. So you have to feel good about he has a day to rest. You may have to replace him for a game or so, but he should be around for the weekend and not have an IL stint. So makes you feel good about coming out of the series for the most part everybody is is as healthy as they were when they went in and you've got some guys coming back soon Nine and four Braves versus the four and nine Kansas City Royals as the Braves will head to KC. Uh, the Royals giving up uh, close to almost five runs per game. So uh, any expectations to see out of this series? When you look at it on paper, the Braves should completely dominate the Royals. It, they do not hit a lot of home runs, so they don't hit the ball out of the yard a lot. Uh, if the Braves can keep it inside uh, the ballpark, they should be fine. But again, I told you this is one of those um, those letdown series where all of a sudden you could turn around and the Royals could sweep a hot Braves team uh, coming into the weekend in Kansas City. Yeah, good pitching matchups this weekend. Charlie Morton on Friday versus Brady Singer. Mm. Bryce Elder on Saturday versus Chris Bubik. That's my game to watch for a trap game. If there's mm-hmm. a trap game in this three-game series, Bubik looks like a much better pitcher this year than he did last year. Kind of tweaked his pitch mix a bit, so the slider's looking a lot more effective. And Elder's still in that nebulous. He's up. He's a spot starter. He's trying to keep a spot in the rotation. If he presses a little too much, uh, gets in trouble there, you may see Casey steal one. If Atlanta does not get a sweep, that's the game that I predict might go the wrong way. Sunday, Kyle Wright versus Zach Greinke. You feel good about uh, facing a veteran in Greinke who doesn't quite have the same stuff, but still has the guile and the pitchability. So, Uh, I feel good about Friday and Sunday. I still think the Braves are favored to win on Saturday, but if you see a loss, it'll be that one.
I do like the right matchup on Sunday, and one reason being is because, as you said, he looked a little rusty at times, but then all of a sudden he was painting corners and he was throwing 93 with a lot of movement that the ball was kind of sinking away. His sinker was working as well. Uh, who knows? And, and start number two, if he feels more loose, not, not as much pressure. Sometimes pitchers do like pitching on the road a little bit better just because there's not a lot of pressure of the hometown crowd. Uh, and I think Kyle Wright may be one of those guys. So it'll be interested to see, not to mention, who knows what Grinky's going to show up. I mean, he can go out there and he looked like he throw a no-hitter, and then the guy could be out there with his hat turned sideways and doing all kinds of weird things on the mound. Shaking off his own pitch com calls. Yes. That was the thing that we saw this year from Grinky in spring training. Also, it's an absolute phenomenal thing. From the plate, the Braves, the, these pitchers for Kansas City give up a lot of hits. Now, I know you wouldn't know that if you just looked at recency bias. They did win 10-1 to over the Texas Rangers. But other than that, when you look at all the rest of their games, I mean, averaging, you know, that was one of those games that brought that average down. But mm-hmm. darn near five runs per game, that game, that was a lot higher if you look back at the first of the season. So uh, the Braves could, if the bats continue to be hot, they could have a very good very good homecoming. Well, not homecoming because after that, you t- we talked about going to San Diego. Also, uh, fun fact, uh, weird game times this weekend. Yes, 8-10 Eastern on Friday, which is kind of a standard central time thing there. Uh, 4-10 on Saturday. It's Jackie Robinson Day. I'm not sure if Hip MLB said we're not going to make opening day uh, day to you know morning to evening baseball, but we'll do it on Jackie Robinson Day, and then two ten getaway game on Sunday. So eight ten, four ten, two ten should be weird. But the good news is they're all in Bali, so you'll be able to watch those if you are lucky enough to get the Bali channels. Uh, again, there will be maybe some more news down the road on this, as far as that is concerned, a little bit later on as mm-hmm. well. Your pick for the weekend? You say two and one, two and one. Should I jinx them and say sweep again, or should I go with two and one? Do it. Jinx it. Jinx it. (laughs) I'll go ahead and jinx it. I'm going to say that it's another sweep. It should be a sweep when you just look at the numbers. But, again, Kansas City playing at home, you just never know what you're going to get. He's Lindsey Crosby. I've been Taylor. As always, Lindsey, greatly appreciate your time, sir. Thanks for having me. Chop on. So that is a clip from the Braves Today podcast with Lindsey Crosby and Ben Taylor. Again, Ben Taylor host Auburn Opelika this morning over on our sister station, News Talk WANI 98.7, and Lindsey Crosby with all the great stuff that he does. We had him on the show yesterday. And so that is a good preview of what is to come this weekend for the Atlanta Braves, some injury updates, and all that good stuff. So we appreciate those guys letting us take some of their audio and play it here on the Friday edition of On the Line. But when we come back, we'll start talking talking about some more transfer portal stuff and college football is as wide open as this is about to be and just how crazy the portal is going to be when it opens up in less than 24 hours. So give us a call. Phone lines are open. You know how it is on Fridays. 334-321-1390. We'll take our first break here in hour number one and come back and talk some football here on the Friday edition of On the Line. You are on the line. On ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com, or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back inside the studio at ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Again, we appreciate uh, Lindsey Crosby and Ben Taylor giving us some of their audio from the Braves Today podcast as they preview the Braves series with the Royals this weekend. Uh, Braves 9-4, and four, Royals 4-9. and nine. Uh, So the Braves should... 
should be able to take care of business against the Royals as uh, Charlie Morton is on the mound tonight for the Atlanta Braves. So excited to see him in action for the Braves and hopefully they can take care of business against a Royals team. Baseball has been uh, just, it's been wild to start and a little bit of hometown news about MLB. Do you see who got not only their first hit last night, but a home run in the MLB from Auburn. Did you see that last night? Eddie Julian. Yeah. He got he had a single off the wall or it short hopped the wall. Uh well played by the right fielder for um the the Yankees, I believe, mm-hmm. right? And then he goes deep on his second at bat, opposite field home run. How about that? One of the shortest home runs hit ever at Yankee Stadium, but he did it. Well, that's not true <laughs> because you you can hit shorter ones to to right. That's fair. That's fair. It's it was short porch. Don't get me it wrong. Was, but... It was short, but it wasn't to the <laughs> true short porch. I'm sure that there have been some stupid short ones. Yes. There's, there's ones that, you know, the ones that they're wall scrapers to right field at Yankee Stadium that people are like, yeah, that'd, that'd be a fly ball out in 29 other ballparks yeah. or wh- whatever it is. Well, Fenway is the same way, right? You've got in left field the, the green wall, the green monster, where you have to hit it. 500 feet in the air to get it over it. But in right field, it's got that weird, well, dead center. It's got the angle, basically. And then right field comes in, so that's all messed up, too. But, yes. Right field feels deep. It's a short fence, Mm -hmm. deep. But then it has that steep, it comes in at such a steep angle right at Penske Pole. And it's just, um, I mean, it's fascinating. Uh, The dimensions of ballparks. I've watched some videos on it. but they, They set, like, ground rules and stuff. And... Um, people found some interesting ways. They created like caverns in the actual, like where the foul pole is, and then brought yeah. the fence in, in in years past. Yeah, and I think, and I could be wrong on this, but I think the reason Fenway is built the way it was is because they built it with buildings around it. Like they bought the oh, lot yeah, and they built space. the ballpark in limit, yeah, in limited space. There wasn't just a big open area and they put stuff around it. I'm pretty sure they had to build Fenway with everything around it, so they had to do that it's to like get Plains it to fit. Park. Plainsville Park, you got like a power station yeah. behind left field. Yeah, literally. But, uh, yes, Julian gets not only his first career hit, but then he backs it up with a home run last night as the Twins wash the New York Yankees in New York City. I so a fun stat that I came across yesterday. They flashed a graphic for it. Uh, this feels like this has happened entirely too many times. But he became the eighth player since 1974 to have his first two career hits in the same inning. Interesting. Does that not feel really high? Yes. That feels awfully high. His first eight players in in 50 years have had their first two Major League Baseball hits in the same inning. That is wild. Think about that. In the, in, in the MLB, you cycle through, you bat around, and for a player to get his first two hits of his entire career in the same inning. That is kind of wild. That really is a crazy stat to think about. Twins beat the Yankees 11-2 to last night, and they jumped on them very early. I mean early. In the first inning, they jumped on the Yankees, and they never looked back. The Yankees eventually had a position players pitching, and so um, that's where that game got to last night. But did want to mention that uh, Julian did get his first hit and a home run last night for the Twins, and hopefully that is what is to be a long uh, and successful career in Major League Baseball for him. Auburn baseball tonight on the road this weekend in Tuscaloosa. And Carter, we talked about it a little bit yesterday with Lindsey Crosby, but to talk about it just a little bit here before we get to break, 
Auburn's got to figure something out, man. They, they've got to figure out a way to not give up 15 walks and 10 runs in a game. Because if they can do that, their offense is good enough to win ball games. It's, it's the offense that is keeping them in games and has gotten them back into games. It's just when you walk 12 or 13 players, you're just not going to win many games. Yeah, I mean, if if you don't pitch at all, you you're putting so much stress on the offense to go out. I mean, Auburn's got a streak of thirteen consecutive games scoring at least five runs. Uh, I think thirteen high major games, or no, no, I think it's thirteen games in general. Do you know what Auburn's record in those games are? Six and seven. You scored five plus runs. In 13 straight games. That doesn't happen. No. It's the longest streak since in in a few years at least. I do know that. I, I think I can find that stat as well. Um, but that's outrageous that we're in a situation where you see this Auburn offense have to score almost every game double-digit runs and to have a chance to win. I don't care. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. It doesn't matter what level of baseball you're at. If you're scoring five runs consistently every game, you should be winning 90% of those games. Their 13 games of five plus runs ties the longest streak since 2010 when they did it 13 times as well. Wow. Wow. Well, Auburn can hit the ball. There's no doubt about that. They got to find a way to pitch this weekend in Tuscaloosa taking on Alabama. 30 minutes into hour number one. We'll talk transfer portal when we come back. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Halfway through hour number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back up. Jacob Goins, he is Carter Bird here on ESPN 1067. Well, yesterday on the show, uh, Chris Gordy, our typical and usual Thursday guest, he joins us every Thursday at 3.30. He is the host of the Locked On SEC podcast, and he came on our show yesterday, and if you've been with us for a while and you've been with us on Thursdays when Chris joins the program, you know that Chris is not afraid to tell you what he thinks. He's not afraid to have hot takes and he's not afraid to go along with our show motto to tell you like it is and hold nothing back. And that's exactly what he did yesterday on our program. And if you missed what he said, we're about to talk about it, but you can find the full clip on our Twitter page at ESPN 1067 on Twitter. And we tweeted the clip this morning and asked our listeners and our followers if they agreed with the statement that Chris Gordy made. And here's what Chris had to say. Talking about Auburn, because we asked him about the spring game and the A-Day game and with the transfer portal coming up, where Auburn could possibly go in the transfer portal and what Chris thought about the A-Day game for Auburn. We asked about the running backs. And Chris said about Jarquez Hunter, who seems to be everybody's top pick for RB1, right? He's going to be the guy for Auburn football at the running back position. Mm -hmm. Chris said... I think Hunter is a complimentary back. I don't think he's a workhorse. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Because that is a hot take if there ever is one. And it's not the common take, I'll tell you that. Because people in this town really, really like Jarquez Hunter. You and I included. We like Jarquez Hunter a lot. 
and not just us, Hugh Freeze said that Jarquez Hunter is the best running back he has ever coached. What do you think about what do you think about Chris saying that yesterday about Jarquez Hunter? I mean, I I I kind of understand what the thought process is because I think that there's a couple people that have this opinion out there, um, and I guess that opinion is, well, we've never seen him truly be a lead back. We've never seen him consistently take carries between the tackles, and so we we wonder about that because I mean. Did have Tank. Tank was clearly the lead back the last two years. Jarquez was used more last year than he was his freshman year, um, and I do think that he's his the full glimpse of what he can be is a little bit limited by the fact that uh, the offensive line's been bad, and I think people wonder if he can be that between the tackles back. I think one hundred percent. He's 5'10", 210 pounds. He is maybe the strongest player, the strongest back in the country when it comes to lower body. Uh, I mean, he is, he uh, to, to use the phrase, country strong, like he kind of has that to him, except he also can go in the weight room and squat 600 pounds do you think in if, cowboy boots. I was, about to, I was just about to say, do you think if they gave him the option, if he was allowed to wear cowboy boots on the football field, would he do it? <laughs> Not on the football field. <laughs> He, he, I love the fact that he wears cowboy boots all the time. I mean, he is who he is, and I, I respect that out of a guy like him. But a lot of people have, have reached out to us talking about they were kind of shocked that Chris Gordy would say a statement like that. And we're not ripping him at all. It's just a it's a uncommon statement, I feel like, because so many people believe that Jarquez Hunter can be that guy. And he's filling really, really big shoes with Tank Bigsby, who was not even as good as he could have been at Auburn. I mean, if Tank Bigsby would have gone to Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, any of those other programs across the country, he would have been a Heisman candidate, I think, because of how good he truly is. And if he could have had an offense that was built around him, an offensive line that gave him holes, he could have been a Heisman candidate. I think you say that about both of Auburn's backs last year. I think, I think so, I too. Think, I think both have... I mean, I think Tank Bigsby, you you plug Tank Bigsby in at Michigan behind that offensive line that's so good at run blocking in the Big Ten uh, and that offense, and you gear it to him. I think you're talking about a guy who's being talked about as a pretty high second-round pick, kind of the way that Blake Quorum would have, maybe maybe back into the first round. I think you're, you're talking about him being talked about. I'm not saying B. John Robinson is special. He just is. Yes. He is a unicorn at the running back position. You, We don't see running backs get drafted in the first round all that often. And he's going to be, I think, I think squarely in the first round with the fact that, I mean, he reminds me a little bit of Saquon Barkley, maybe Leonard Fournette-ish. Uh, I know he was banged up this past year. But outside of B. John Robinson... I think if you plug either of Auburn's backs on that Michigan team, they both have 1,500-yard years. I firmly believe that. But instead, they had a really bad offensive line, a really bad scheme, 
bad skill position talent around them, or at least, and quarterbacks, they couldn't get those skill position talent guys the ball. So you had defenses that are going to stack the box and key on these two running backs and make life difficult on them. Now, when Brian Harson was fired and we saw the offense change and then we saw them use Robbie Ashford's legs, then we saw a little bit more of what they could do. Things freed up for them a little bit because there was more. It was defenses couldn't just sit there and key on the two running backs. I'm fascinated to see what this this offensive line, this revamped offensive line, is going to be much better. And Jarquez Hunter, who I think is going to prove a lot of people wrong, I think he is a 1,200-yard back. As much as I don't believe in the 1,000 yards by a guy being absolutely necessary, I think there's a way to, for him to do it and be fresh. But we're going to head to the phone lines. we got Terry on the line. Terry, welcome in. What are your thoughts on this discussion? Guys, I couldn't disagree with Chris more, but here's the thing I hope doesn't happen. I hope Hugh Freeze has a better take on I think he does, than Gusta to just run and run him back into the ground. So by eight, game eight or nine, 100%. he was running into the ground. Yes. Yeah, he couldn't he could only lift up his legs. And that's what Chris backed up yesterday because he said that about Jarquez, but he backed it up with a statement that I did agree with, which is what you basically just said is he thinks that Auburn should cycle through their running backs, and I think everybody can agree with that because Jarquez is not the only guy on this team. There are some really, no. really good backs in this room, and – if Auburn can make all of them seven, 800-yard guys, then Auburn's going to have a really good chance in November and early December well, th- if they're still competing at that I point. think if you've got Jarquez flirting with a 1,000-yard year and you've got two, three other guys giving you 500-plus yards, then you've done a really good job rotating backs around. And I think Jarquez is going to do that this year. I think Brian Batty gives you something very different, very unique, and it's going to. That's the thing about this running back room. Everybody gives you something a little bit different. And I think Damari Austin has really impressed here recently at the end of spring practice. I think he's going to be much better than we thought. And then Brian Batty, speed guy, gets lost behind this really big, because you and I have seen it, Jacob, this really big offensive line. Yes. He's going to hit some home runs this year. And you saw it last year. Uh, I think I saw Pro Football Focus tweet out the video of that Florida nose tackle who's like six foot five, four hundred twenty pounds or whatever, uh, just body slamming Batie. Yeah, that's cool. Like, yeah, they, they were talking about Batie's five seven, one sixty five. Batie ran for one fifty in that game. So, like, one play doesn't mean a lot. He has that ability, and then you have Jeremiah Cobb and Sean Jackson who's showing you something too. Everybody brings something different to the table. Now, is Sean Jackson the big hoss, the big number 44, yes. I think he is? Yes, he's like 5'9", 236. It's hilarious. Yeah, and see, I hope Auburn has a situation where they can run him down close to the goal line, but he's a guy that's going to find the end zone down close. Mm-hmm. He's, just, he's just too powerful. You're not going to slow him down. He gets up his head of steam. You know, that's one thing I didn't like about Gus. A lot of things I like about Gus, but one thing that I do not like lining up in the shotgun in the five-yard line. I agree. I agree, because you're turning around and you're losing three or four yards when you hand it off to the running back rather rather than having him stand right there beside the quarterback. I do think that that starts a discussion about if you never go under center, how comfortable is your quarterback going under center? I mean, I think back to, what was it, the Bills-Vikings NFL game this past year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they're out of the gun. All the time. Josh Allen and the Bills out of the gun all game long. They're on the goal line. They go under center. They fumble and end up losing the game. 
because they're not used to it. And so I, I, I do wonder if that pops in these coaches' mind around the goal line. I, I, I get what you're saying, but if you feel comfortable with your guy going under center and taking the snap, then I 100% agree. But if they never do it, it is a risk. Yeah, nothing too, guys. Well, hopefully, all in the situation, we got three minutes to go, and you got to grind a little bit of clock. He'd be the perfect guy to do that. Yeah, knock out four, three or four yards at a time. I'll be honest, Terry. I've I've heard some things that I think he might be as good of a pass blocking back in the backfield as Auburn has. And I think I think Jarquez Hunter is good at that. Um, Batty, I'm going to be curious to see what how that looks at 175 pounds. Um, Demari Austin. I mean, he has the. He, he's 5'9", 202, 205. He has the size to do it. Um, curious about that as well. But I, I And I think Sean Jackson can catch the football pretty well as, uh, as well. I wonder if you see him get some short yardage carries, but I do wonder if, because this was brought up, and I don't remember who brought it up. Do you remember Malik Miller? Oh, yeah. Malik Miller out of... Um, the carry on Johnson school up in up yeah. in um Madison Madison County. Right. right. Malik Miller played a role where he was a really good pass blocking back and he could catch the mm-hmm. ball really well. I don't think he had great athleticism. I think he had a knee injury his he enrolled early. I think he had a knee injury his first A day, and I don't think he ever athletically recovered from that. I think Sean Jackson can be that, but maybe have a little more athleticism and and be able to do more with the actual football. As you said, Carter, they, they, each back presents a different type of style of play. Mm-hmm. Each style is going to be necessary in a long season. And we all, know, all of us know this for sure. They're going to run behind a better offensive line than Tank Bigby or had a chance to get. Yep, exactly. And, and I hate that for Tank. But, and I said I that, too. Terry. It's just he, he had the potential to be so – and he is. He's a fantastic player, and I think he'll have a good career in the pros if he gets in the right system. But he just – he had so much potential – at Auburn, if he goes to a place like Michigan where they they hammer the rock and they put behind mm. the biggest and best offensive line in the country. I think they've won the Joe Moore Award twice in a row, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, something like that. I mean, Tank would be a legitimate For, for Heisman, best offensive line. Yes, uh, he would be a legitimate Heisman candidate. And there's a chance he could have sat in New York for a Heisman ceremony. So, I don't so, know, guys. It's hard for you to feel sorry for a guy who's about to be a gazillionaire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Take I, care. Yeah, he's going to be just fine. Terry, we appreciate the call. It's good to hear from you, man. Something I'm curious about, and I think you're going to see it at some point probably this year year i think you've got enough unique skill sets that i think you can see a situation where you may have three backs on the on the field at the same time you may have jarquez lined up next to your quarterback you may have um you may have damari you may have jeremiah cobb because i view jeremiah cobb as kind of an alvin kamara type it's a good comparison, and and I'm not saying he's going to be Alvin Kamara. We'd love, but I think for, we'd his love skill for that set is similar, and so I wonder if you could have him in the backfield as well, motion him out to the slot, and have Batty lined up out wide, bring him on a speed sweep, and you've got all this motion, all this movement, all these different personnel packages. You can try to confuse a defense that way, and maybe have a big play on a speed sweep. Or horizontally stretch that defense, get their eyes looking at all the eye candy and everything, get them worried, and just hit them with Jarquez Hunter up the middle. Or if it's an RPO, you could look for Jeremiah Cobb, maybe running a slant or something, or running a screen out there. I think there's all sorts of fun things that this coaching staff, this offensive coaching staff, can scheme up with the 
skill sets of their running backs. There's options, and I think that's what is most exciting with Auburn's running back room. we got to get to our final break here in hour number one. Tide the Tiger, you'll be up next. When we come back, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners here on this Friday afternoon. 334-321-1390. Tide, you'll be first up when we come back here on the Friday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Let's get to the phone lines as we wrap up our number one, 334-321-1390. Ty the Tiger, you're on the line, brother. How are you? What's going on, guys? Doing all right, man. You got a few minutes. What you got? Man, uh, so just piggyback off what y'all were saying, uh, you know, I, I think, I think I think we could definitely have a thousand yard back, you know, easy, just because of the offensive change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're gonna have a good complementary of of another. I think you know. I I think so. I think Ashton's gonna give us like y'all were saying. I think he'll be a thousand yard all purpose back with probably a couple passes out of the backfield type. You know what I mean? And 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 a lot of yards that way. Check out my stat line for Mr. Uh, Jackson. I think he'll have, let's say, 45 carries, 300 yards, 10 touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had me until the until the touchdown numbers, man. Well, I think, dude, I think all his, I think all his numbers, I mean, if, if dude, if we don't give him the rock, it's like y'all were talking about earlier, in the five-yard line zone, stop running up, you know, even if we do shotgun. I mean, it's got to be RPO with, with Ashford and, and Jackson. I mean, yeah, that kid's going to bowling ball into the end zone, dude. I yeah. mean, he's going to, you know what I mean? So, it's going to uh, take two or three to get him down. Uh, honestly, I yep. think with with how we all are talking about how they might use him, 300 yards on 45 carries might be a little high unless he's breaking some big ones. Yeah, yeah, I went a little high on the on the yards, you know, but I, I think he I think he will get some mock time and 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 get a couple runs in. But I really think he's going he's going he'll have he'll have as many or as, or or maybe even more um, than Ashton, in my opinion, just because I think we'll give it to him on the goal line so much. But you never know. I mean, might you know, Jacquez might take that role over and just you know he might might not be needed. Right, yeah, you know, that, yeah. You know, and, and that's a good thing. But you know, all that said and done, and y'all did touch on it. Um, I mean, we got to have an offensive line that's going to push, push, push off the ball. You know, spring game looked good, and we pushed off the ball. But I mean, we're going against our defensive line. Just, I don't think that's going to be that strong this year. Um, you know, the, um, the 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 kid transferring yesterday really, I. I thought he was gonna. I thought he was gonna kind of come into his shell. Such an athlete he is. I did. I thought he was good. I mean, I, I thought he actually played good ball. What's it? My, uh, Emba Jeffrey Emba. Emba, yeah, Emba. I, I I thought he played good. I was excited about him. That sucks. He's on transfer, but you know, yeah. what I mean, more power to him. I mean, I'm sure he's on a journey that you know he's 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 gonna do as good for him. But right. man, that sucks. But uh, yeah, that was that's one of those that mm-hmm. you know we've talked about. There's gonna be a few surprises, and and I think that is one of them. And we haven't had the chance to get to that it's, yet. We'll start hour number two with that conversation. It's weird. He had a social media post that I'll bring up when we talk about it about how much he loves his coaches. <laughs> yeah. 
And and so, you know, you look at, okay, was our offensive line really that good and our running backs really that good, or was our defensive line just getting pushed around in the rain? You know what I mean? Right. You know, that kind of is what I looked at when I watched that spring game. Okay, offensive line looked like they're going to run the ball this year, but, I mean, who are they pushing against, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of just on my only, you know, and I'm not, you know, trying to downplay it, but at the same time, you know, that's what you got to think. I mean, linebackers and, and, and defensive line did not look good. Um, in my opinion, on the spring game. I've, I've watched it three times now just to kind of, you know. But number 44 sure is running the ball. That's for sure. Yes, he <laughs> is. Yes, he is. And I it's think he's he's going to see some action. All right. So, and then on the other side of things, man, I wouldn't talk about Bruce. Okay. Uh, dude, I mean, I read an article or, or saw something, a post of uh, he has reached out to 27 transfers and a list of them. And, man, I mean, some big names. Already got some more. Um, just what he could do and his reputation of taking somebody like, you know, Kessler, who was on the bench, and turning him to a first-rounder. I mean, we've, we've had – everybody can do a one-and-done. One-and-done is, you know, all over the country, all at, at every school. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it's not, just for, it's not just for freshmen anymore. I mean, you could be a graduate and be a one-and-done now. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was just talking about like a five-star high school. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One year, and then they go to the league. We've seen them, you know, on a sorry team still go first round. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for Bruce to take somebody like Kessler, and, you know, uh, I hate that he he only – did y'all see that he got one vote? rookie of the year yeah i did i I mean it was going to be tough for him to win it but i mean he can't he should not be disappointed with his rookie year at all no and the the guy that voted was from uh salt lake uh newspaper so Mm -hmm. of course he homered him so but they were that you know almost a unanimous but he man he played and so again i think man basketball i think is gonna be a lot better gonna be it's gonna be exciting sports next year at auburn no doubt man no doubt ty it's good to hear from you, yeah, brother. We're about to be in a break. Man. Yeah, you too, man. Enjoy we'll talk to you next week, I'm sure. That is Ty the Tiger joining us as we are just about to get out of here for our number one. And, yes, we will talk about the news of Jeffrey Imba announcing that he will enter the transfer portal tomorrow when it opens. One of those players that, again, one of those shockers that we maybe didn't fully expect. We'll talk about that and who else we could see enter the transfer portal tomorrow and over the next few days for Auburn football. 334-321-1390. That's the number to put you through to us. Lots more Auburn football with transfer for Portal Talk coming up at hour number two. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. 
You're on the line. You're on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Friday, April 14th, 2023. Hour number one is in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two is underway here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He is Carter Bird. And if you missed any of hour number one, I had some good conversations about baseball with the Braves playing the uh, Royal on the road this weekend. Auburn baseball is in Tuscaloosa, taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide. We had some audio from the Braves Today podcast that's hosted by Ben Taylor and Lindsey Crosby. They were uh, kind enough to give us some audio from that, so they were previewing the series for the Braves coming up this weekend, giving some updates on some uh, guys coming off of and getting onto the IL. And so, good audio from them, and then we had some good conversation about Auburn football because our wonderful guest, Chris Gordy, stirred up some some noise yesterday here on the show talking about the running back room at Auburn. So we talked about that a little bit. We'll get into some more of that in Transfer Portal stuff here in hour number two. But if you missed any of the first hour, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast. You can find it at ESPNAU.com after the show today. It'll be commercial free or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. Had some good callers in hour one as well. And we'd love to hear from you in hour two, 334-321-1390. And one of those callers, Mr. Ty the Tiger joined us as we were entering or leaving, I should say, hour number one. And he had a stat about Bruce. He was talking basketball where he saw a stat that Bruce Pearl has talked to, or Auburn, I should say, has reached out to 27 guys in the transfer portal, which seems like a pretty good number. Yes. But there's another coach in the SEC that would like to have a word. Yeah, this is a stat that um, I found last Friday. So this does not count anything that's happened. In the past seven days. But last Friday, Eric Musselman and Arkansas had had some sort of contact with at least, so this is just that we know of, 84 transfers. There's only 13 scholarships in in college basketball. Good Lord. 84. There's that one kid, the, uh, the kid that goes to that D2 school who... There was a hilarious stat that he had been reached out to more than 120 Division One schools. So over a third yeah. of Division One college basketball had reached out to him. Yeah, I that's amazing. That. That's amazing. And it, the fact that Arkansas and Eric Musselman have Auburn reached and out. Arkansas were on that list. I'm well. sure they were. I'm sure they were. And look, 27 is an impressive number for Auburn. 84 is stupid. Is ridiculous for Arkansas, but it works. They've already picked up three guys out of the portal, three and they sweet are 16s and two elite eights with Musselman there. Yeah, I do wonder how much does entirely revamping the roster every single year. How much does that limit the ceiling? Ask John Calipari in Kentucky. They do it with high school. Well, Arkansas has been better over the last three years than Kentucky. I agree. I agree. And Kentucky does it with high school recruits. Arkansas is doing it with transfer portal guys. And I think that's why Arkansas has been more successful because the transfer portal, you're going after experienced guys for the most part. Sometimes you get a player that was out of school, take a chance Westry or a Yoan Treor, for example. They were out of school for a year, but they didn't play. So you're not really getting an experienced guy. But for the most part, When you go into the transfer portal, you're getting a guy that has experience. Sometimes you're getting a grad transfer who has played the college game for three or four years. 
and you are bringing in experience and seniority and maturity versus what you're getting out of high school recruiting where you're bringing in young freshmen who were playing high school ball six months ago. So I think if you want to compare the two, that's why Arkansas and Eric Musselman, when they're completely cycling the roster every year, that's why that's been more successful than what you've seen at Kentucky and John Calipari over the last few years. I understand that Kentucky and Calipari have a championship. That was 11 years ago, by the way. Musselman and Arkansas are on the brim of making a Final Four and winning a national championship. So we talk about in football how building and making your entire roster from the transfer portal we don't think is a long-term successful plan. I think you can do it in basketball because, again, it comes back to the point you only need one or two guys to make a program phenomenal in basketball. you got to be really particular about fit if you're going to do that. That's just my opinion is it's – I'd be worried um, if you don't feel 100% rock solid about these guys meshing and the chemistry of the locker room, if you go revamp your roster the way that you can, I think you can get some situations where we've seen some really talented, really good teams wildly underachieve. Just, just really underachieve. I think back to that UNC team this past year. Yeah, um, and I mean, we've seen Kentucky teams do it. I mean, those are majority high school guys, but I, that's that's the risk you run when you revamp your roster that heavily. If it doesn't, if it's not a cohesive group. It can be really, really ugly. Yeah. So I guess you you were I was gonna push back a little bit, but you were talking just revamping your roster in general. Like if you are losing five or six guys and replacing them every single year, there is a chance where they don't mesh and it doesn't work out like you plan. But when you look at you know the risk of bringing somebody in from the transfer portal, there's even more risk from bringing a high school recruit in, in my opinion, because the high school recruit, as I said a few minutes ago. The high school recruit has no college experience, has no college film, and has no and has no experience in the college game. Whereas if you go and get a transfer portal player, you know, you sort of know what you're getting. Now, you may be bringing somebody in from a smaller level, smaller school, so you have to gamble on their expectations and what they can do at the higher level. But it's not as big of a gamble to get a transfer portal guy to revamp your roster than it is with a high school player as a recruit. And I think that is a fair statement. And so maybe that's where college basketball is going. We had the conversation about football and whether the idea that Deion Sanders at Colorado wants to build the Colorado roster with what? 50% basically um, transfer portal guys. That's aggressive. It is, but I'm saying football, that's not a, that's not going to work. It can work in college basketball and maybe you'll see other schools pick up what Arkansas has been doing because they're getting great players out of high school, but they're also rebuilding and revamping with guys from the transfer portal. And you're going to see Auburn do that. They already have with Denver Jones. I don't think they're done. But how much does it play into the fact of you just brought in two high-level high school five-stars and neither one of them played and both of them just transferred out of your program? Yeah, yeah, I... I don't know, man. It's just college basketball is so wild. It really is just the way that the way that you can hit on 
smaller guys, unranked guys. I think about Javon McCormick, who is unranked or an unranked junior college guy who came in and exceeded all expectations and like was exactly what Auburn needed the Final Four run to make a run to the Final Four. Then you think about five stars like Austin Wiley, maybe never living up to the expectations put on him. Um, I do think he was an interesting fit to what Auburn does. I think he was a good player. Don't I don't want to sell his career short. I think he was he was a very good player, especially by the end of his career at Auburn. And then you look at some of these five stars like Yoan and Chance that just it's so I feel like it happens it happens more often than I feel like really high ranked guys in basketball go to a school, don't pan out hit the eject button, transfer out. I mean, Oregon had a five-star center who's a top 12 player in the country who played like eight, nine minutes a game this past year. He's in the portal. He's looking to go somewhere. Um, it's fat. Basketball, I feel like more than other sports, relies so much on fit how you kind of jive with the program and the setup. Like, we've these smaller schools, FAU, FAU's not going out there and landing a bunch of four- and five-star guys. Mm-mm. And they built a Final Four team out of veterans that play together that all theoretically can come back, by the way. But then you see teams like that UNC team, preseason number one. Talked about being unbelievable. Caleb Love, Armando Bangkut. Baycott, um, the Northwestern transfer, Pete Nance, uh, who they wanted to be. What was the name of the the Oklahoma transfer that went nuts in March two years ago? That basically, oh yeah, Brady Manic, Brady Manic, yeah. Brady Manic. They they wanted him to be the next Brady Manic. I don't. I think he was good. I don't think he turned out to be that. No, but it's more so than I feel like baseball. More so than I feel like football. If it's not a just great. If it's not, if it is a great cultural fit, you can take a team full of lesser talented players and make it really, really good in a hurry. You can also, if it's a bad culture fit, take a Final Four talent-wise team, national championship caliber team, and miss the NCAA tournament and just look like you're floundering all year. And I'll give you another argument, too. More when you compare basketball versus these other major sports, with these guys that you get out of the transfer portal or you get out of high school recruiting, more recruiting in high school than anything, but the flop rate, I think, is is much, much higher. What I mean by that is you hear in basketball so much more often, okay, he was just a major flop, right? Yoan Treo or Chance Westry, are considered flops at Auburn. They came in as two high-ranked guys that were supposed to be it, and it just didn't work. And you see that happen at every school across the country. You see it happen all the time. Because, and it comes back to this same point, basketball, there are so many expectations, and there's so much reliance on each individual player because they make so much impact because there's very few guys on the team. Whereas in football or baseballs, football especially, if that big-name quarterback, Arch Manning, right, that's a huge conversation about him. 
if Arch Manning goes to Texas and just absolutely sucks and doesn't do anything, yes, it will hurt Texas, but they're not going to be in scramble mode and the season's not going to be ruined. They have other guys. Whereas in basketball, Auburn got hurt because Treyor and Westry yes. were not good and didn't pan out. So that's why, again, basketball is different when it comes to transfer portal and recruiting because there's so much reliance on exactly. each individual person. If those two guys play like top 20 recruits, if Yoan plays like a top, what, 12 guy? Yeah. We're talking about an Auburn team that's a sweet 16 team. Because I, if those two guys are... 70, 60, 70% of Isaac Isaac Okoro as a freshman. Auburn beats Houston. Auburn beats Houston. And you you have a... Um, who was it that Houston played in the next round and lost to? They played Miami. Yeah, you get a you get another date with Miami. It well, has to run that back. Then you look at this, too. If Yoan and Chance played... Like you said, 60%, 70% of what Isaac was, or even just played 50% better than they did, Auburn's probably not even in that situation. They would have a better draw, which I don't think Auburn's draw was all that bad, but they wouldn't even be in that You're spot. Right. They'd be a higher seed anyway. They'd be a five or six seed yeah, rather than an, an eight seed. Exactly. And, and we'd be talking about a sweet 16 Auburn team, I think, potentially an elite eight team with the way that this tournament shook out. Yeah, which is why the transfer portal and high school recruiting are just so much different in basketball. And with the transfer portal being wide open right now, what started this whole conversation, which has been a lot of fun, Bruce Pearl and Auburn have reached out to 27 guys, according to uh, our listener, Ty the Tiger, who called in back in the first hour. Eric Musselman in Arkansas have reached out to over 80 players in the transfer portal. And I think it is a doable and a successful plan in basketball to where if you just want to build out of the portal and bring in one or two good high school players, I think that is sustainable in basketball. I don't think it's sustainable in any other sport in college athletics. I just don't think it is, especially football where you have so many guys on the team. But Auburn basketball, they picked up Denver Jones. I don't think they're done. Auburn football, you already see one guy who is in or going to be in the portal. We'll talk about that when we come back. Where else could Auburn go in the portal? Who else could leave for Auburn in the transfer portal and go and try to play somewhere else? We'll talk about that when we come back. Give us a call. We'd love for you to be a part of this conversation. 334-321-1390. Or you can tweet at us on Twitter at ESPN1067. We'll talk Auburn transfer portal and the one guy that's already announced he will enter tomorrow when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back inside the studio at ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. I promise we are going to talk Auburn football transfer portal news because there is a guy that has talked about he is going to enter the portal tomorrow. We'll talk about that coming up, but we actually have some breaking news that I think we need to talk about before we get yeah. to that conversation. In this the has last been six minutes or so. Yeah. We have four star. Peyton Marshall, seven foot three hundred pound center in the twenty twenty four class, who's been committed to Auburn, has decommitted, and I do wonder what could be in the works there with this Auburn staff. This is a guy that looks and is built like, uh, I mean, a, a baby shack. I mean, he is massive, seven feet, three hundred pounds. The four star basketball center 
for Auburn in the 2024 class. I remember when he committed, everybody was really, really excited about this, um, myself included, because of just the massive size that this guy would bring down low on the basketball floor. And Auburn has not seen a guy like this on their team in a while that's got the height and the weight. And Auburn fans were excited about this. He has now decommitted. We had started hearing the rumblings, but it is official now that uh, Peyton Marshall, the four-star, seven-foot, 300-pound center, has decommitted from Bruce Pearl and Auburn basketball. And that starts to bring up a few discussions of why, right? Is he is he just thinking he needs to go somewhere else? I mean, he's is, seven foot, 310 pounds. He's a very large human. I think he would have had to have gotten in much better shape. Oh, no doubt. By the time he got to Auburn's campus, uh, he's ranked. I'm trying to see exactly where he is ranked. He is the 94th ranked player on on three, 94th ranked player on 247, and the 82nd ranked player on ESPN. Yeah, so, I mean, is he just feels he needs to go somewhere else? Was this possibly a mutual decision between him and Auburn is there something else in the works behind this to maybe get somebody different than him I don't know and I think we we will find these things out over the next few days actually, over the next week or so he's actually 42nd or 47th uh on the 247 okay uh top two four seven. that's significantly higher than what on three had there I guess 247 has updated their rankings, and On3 has not updated gotcha. their 247 ranking on their site. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, he is 82nd in the composite. Um, this, I mean, I don't think this is the end of the world for Auburn. and Because you're after other center power forward kind of players, and one that jumps to mind is Flory Baidunga um, out of Kokomo, Indiana. Uh, I think it's. I think Cincinnati's heavily involved. Mm-hmm. I know Auburn's been. You see, baby, go Bearcats. Um, his top five list on two four seven. I think a couple of these I don't see uh, having a real shot. But Butler, Bradley uh, are both on that list, and Arizona State. That'd be an interesting one because uh, everybody loves the the Hurley brothers. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. Uh, but but I'll tell you what. I mean, could. Could Auburn still be 100% fine at the center position in 24? I think absolutely. I mean, I would lean that way, to be yeah, honest with you. I, I would, too. I would, um, too. I think I think Auburn will be okay. Time, plenty of time. And even if it doesn't work out with one of these recruits, you do have the transfer portal that we just talked about for mm-hmm. so much time. Not that this is the option and the route that they're going to go, but technically, technically, he decommitted today. He could technically recommit to Auburn if everything, if he goes out and just decides, you know, maybe Auburn is where I want to be. And maybe Auburn says, you know, we actually do want you, right? Like, that is a possibility that usually doesn't happen. But you just never know. So I think that was important for us to uh, to talk about the breaking news. Four-star Peyton Marshall, 7-foot, 300-pound basketball center in the class of 2024, uh, has decommitted from Auburn. That is according to Joe Tipton. So... That happened, and uh, again, I don't think it's the end of the world. It hurts, and he has the potential to be a really good player. Uh, but something is probably in the works here with Auburn and, and him and whatever. So uh, best of luck to him, and we'll see where he ends up. But did want to talk about that. That broke uh, during the break, and so wanted to talk about that just a little bit. When we talk about Auburn, because for Auburn football, we have 
we have previewed this like five times, and we keep getting distracted. We've had great conversations today, but do want to talk about this a little bit. Auburn football got some news yesterday, uh, yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening, that they now know at least one player who will be entering the transfer portal tomorrow when it opens for college football in the spring and window. there will be more. Yes. I mean, that's, that's part of the thing. Is I, You're going to see a handful. I mean, I think you might see seven, eight guys pretty quickly hop in the portal from Auburn's roster because they know where they stand after mm-hmm. spring. Uh, but Jeffrey Imba, yes. first one in the portal, a little bit surprising because I think he was going to play a really big role on this defensive line. Um, part of me wonders if maybe he wanted to be a locked-in true starter, and we know what Auburn did to go get so many really good defensive linemen in the transfer portal. Uh, we've we've heard the discussion about Mosiah Nasilikite and how um, – good he's been how versatile he is how he can play up and down the line he's going to give you great production you've got justin rogers jason jones on the interior you've got lawrence johnson uh as well who can be a depth piece as well from purdue i think this secures the fact that i think i think auburn now probably needs to go get another defensive lineman not just a jack a defensive lineman in the portal that can be a depth piece Somebody who can help uh, Marcus Harris, who's playing a little bit out uh, at D-end right now. You've got a lot of versatile guys, it sounds like. And, you know, I I can't say that this 100% shocks me because I've heard some rumblings about different moments in time where Jeffrey Imba maybe has thought about hopping in the portal Mm -hmm. or maybe gotten frustrated with something or and guys have had to like kind of calm him down talk him down tell him he's fine he's good it's weird because i'm pretty sure it may have been on instagram i want to see if i can find it he had a post just the other day about how much he loves his coaches and all of this it may have been on twitter actually let me see if i can find it but it's how much he loves his coaches at Auburn and he's grateful for them and how much he loves it, whatever, whatever. Well, in his post yesterday, he thanked Brian Harson for recruiting him. Did you see that? Sure. I mean, okay. I thought it was interesting. That works. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, he may have deleted that post now. Uh, huh. He may have. Interesting. Fascinating. But there was definitely a post where he was like, I'm so thankful for my coaches here at Auburn. It's so great playing for coaches that really care about you. hey And I don't know, man. Yeah, well, look, here, here's the thing about the defensive line. Even if Jeffrey Imba had not announced yesterday that he'll enter his name in the transfer portal tomorrow, Auburn still needed some help there. Like, Auburn's at Jack still- At Jack. I think you were probably fine everywhere else, but you, now you think you need to go get a Jack and correct. a defensive line. Yes, correct. On the defensive side, the Jack position, you need somebody, and now you need somebody on the defensive line. And Imba is one of those guys that we have alluded to that it's there are going to be a few that are surprising that they enter the portal. Is this one just the most breaking news, shocking thing you've ever heard on our end? No, but... It does kind of hurt because he's a big player. He's a nice addition to any roster that he's on. And 
Auburn's going to have to replace him now. And so we'll see where they go with that. Transfer portal opens tomorrow. We'll see if Auburn can upgrade at that position because it seems like so far, Auburn, when they've lost guys, they've gone and upgraded from them. And I think that's really, really important mm-hmm. to do in the transfer portal. When you lose somebody, the goal, in my opinion, is to upgrade from that person. And so I think Auburn has a chance to do that. We'll see who enters the portal when the wild, wild west begins tomorrow for college football. But Jeffrey Emba announces yesterday he will be in the transfer portal tomorrow. Who will join him? Who knows? We'll have to find out tomorrow. But, hey, we got 30 more minutes here on the Friday edition of On the Line. I believe Jack is going to call in and talk to us for a little bit. So we'll see what Mr. Jack Hutton has to say when we come back here on ESPN 106.7. With Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goertz. He's Carter Bird, and we're joined on the phone lines by our good friend Jack Hudden. Jack, happy Friday, brother. Hope you're doing well. What's up, guys? How are y'all? Doing just fine, man. It's just breaking news all over the place. Yeah, I know. I just saw it. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. going to. I was going to let you, uh, if you wanted to. I don't know if you, uh, if we've seen the the commitment that happened about about two minutes ago. Yeah, well, we'll we'll start right there then. How about that? Auburn has landed. Auburn football, that is, has landed the commitment of tight end Martavius Collins, and he said, "quote." I mean, with Auburn, it's more of a home where they welcome me there. And he is a, he was an Alabama tight end commit and is now the fifth commitment to the Auburn 2024 football class. Jack, your early thoughts on Auburn flipping an Alabama commit at the tight end position? It's big. It's always big to flip somebody who's committed to an Alabama, a Georgia, uh, somebody like that. And I know that people are going to say, well, it's not a flip. And, you know, in, in the extent of the word, it really is. I mean, he was an Alabama commit for a long time and then decommitted and pretty quickly, you know, switched over to Auburn. He's right on the cusp of that four-star tight end, which to me, if you're a four-star tight end, you're getting close to five-star in terms of that position. I mean, it, it's tough to become so a five-star tight end. What do you say about the five-star tight end or two that we have in every class now? I'm saying that that's... <laughs> kind of an anomaly i guess I yeah don't know, but um it's i mean it's starting to get to the, that point where the tight end is more of a slot receiver i think in a lot of these offenses and so um they're looking for big body receivers kind of i mean that's that's what's happening in a lot of programs like this. i think this is more of an h-back pickup for auburn yes um, agreed that collins collins is going to come in he's just over about 240 um probably going to be 250 maybe played a little bit under that, maybe 245, 250 um, by the time that they get him into playing shape. And so um, we'll see. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to kind of watch. But, yeah, I do think this is an H-back role. He'll be right on the cusp of four-star status. This is a good pickup for Hugh Freeze and the Tigers. Yeah, as Martavius Collins, he tweeted with the graphic. It says, I'm home. And it's a really sweet-looking graphic on his Twitter page. And then uh, Christian Clemente, obviously our recruiting guru, friend of the program, he tweeted about it. And the quote from Martavius Collins says this, quote, Saturday kind of sealed the deal. I was going to make sure my mom and them got to... 
uh, got down there before I even made a decision. If they felt good, then it was a go. And that's exactly what happened as Auburn picks up the former Alabama commit, the tight end, Martavius Collins. And uh, just it's exciting to see what Hugh Freeze has done. We talk about it all the time. But, Jack, when it gets put into action, man, it's just hard to argue what the results we're seeing right now. Well, it really is. And you look at this guy's offer list, too. I mean, and I and I had done a little bit of research on him um, a couple of weeks ago, but just I pulled it back up the other day. This guy's got offers not only from Auburn, but obviously from Alabama. He was committed there. Georgia is another program he's got an offer from. LSU, Ohio State, Tennessee's in on him, Miami. I mean, you got all of these teams that are after him that are consistently up towards the top or have been in the running for a national championship in the last five years or so. So this is definitely a highly coveted player that Auburn went out and got. Don't let the three-star status, uh, don't let that scare you away from him. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think it's a big, it's a big pickup because it fills a specific role that this staff was looking for. And that is that H back position, somebody to come in and kind of play that role. He's not the tallest tight end of all time. I mean, he's 6'3". It's not, he's not small by any stretch, but I do think he has a skill set that fits that H-back role probably more so than uh, guys like Revolta Fairweather, Luke Deal, uh, Michael Riley Ducker, the guys currently on campus at Auburn. Yeah, and I think kind of what I was saying beforehand I think you see some of those guys turn more into pass catchers, kind of in that slot receiver role. Um, you know, I, I think that maybe you even put them on the outside in like goal line situations to throw the to throw the up ball. Um, you know, we saw that in the A Day game with uh, I think it was Landon King on the outside. They they tried to go to um, down towards the red zone one time, but yeah, going to be interesting. This is going to be a, a different pickup. I think that. Um, they're going to look at putting some weight on a couple other guys and maybe trying those guys out at the H-back role. But this is definitely one that you can cement as he's coming in to play one position, and, and they know what it is. Well, Jack, to uh, nobody's surprise, Walker White, Auburn's very outspoken quarterback commit, he retweeted the the commitment tweet from Octavius Collins, and Walker White said, Welcome home. Let's get this class rolling to help Auburn football win a natty. Yes, sir. And i got to love it. I mean, pretty sure that Auburn is fixing to start to see some of this momentum rolling. And I'm wondering if this is the first domino that falls because, I mean, you got so That's many guys. I've been guys saying all week, Jack. Yeah, you got so many guys that were just on campus that I think are are being pushed in that direction of we really want you to commit, we, we want you to, to call this place home now. And then you got some guys that are committed elsewhere that I think they're pushing to flip. And I don't know if it's just, well, decommit, and then we'll keep on working for you. I think it's I think it's a full-out flip. We want you, you know, committed and home right now. So, um, you know, the staff, like you've said, Jacob, uh, many times, I mean, we've both, we've, well, we've really all said for a long time now, staff's not afraid. They go up against the big dogs, and it's fun to see them win one of these like this. 100%. Yeah, 100%. yeah it is. Uh, I mean, it's just when you put in the work, good things are going to happen. And it seems like that's exactly what's happening with Hugh Freeze and Auburn football right now. We're talking our good buddy Jack Cudden on the line, uh, talking about the breaking news, our second breaking news of the show. It's pretty crazy how it's been going down today. As Martavius Collins, the tight end, former Alabama tight end commit, has committed to Auburn and Hugh Freeze. And talking about the impact of that. Jack, some of the other news going on around Auburn athletics with Auburn football. We saw yesterday afternoon that Jeff 
Jeffrey Imba, the defensive lineman for the Tigers, announced that he would be entering his name into the transfer portal tomorrow. What's your thoughts on that? Boy, I was I will say that, and I, I may be in the minority here, but I was actually really excited to see Jeffrey Imba this year. Um, you know, I think it was last year in the Mississippi State game, and, you know, Carter and I were watching it during after the game, and, and we see this guy kind of bulldoze his way through, I believe it was an offensive tackle, um, to get in the backfield, and uh, I think he got like half a sack on it. But that was kind of the first moment that I, we really saw him sort of break out and display what kind of potential he has, just a mauler up front. I do think Auburn is looking for that guy, um, you know, that guy to kind of take on double teams and to force the action essentially in the middle of the field on the defensive side. Um, I don't know if they have depth there. I think they've got, um, I think they got a couple of guys up front that are going to be able to do that. Um, Justin Rogers comes to mind. You got, I'm going to get his name wrong, but Mosiah Nastili Kite, I believe, from uh, Maryland. The, uh, the Maryland. It might be Kite. I think it might be Kite. <laughs> Okay, there you go. But yeah, so they got a couple of guys up there, but I'm not sure if there's really anybody that, um, you know, is the, and Auburn fans will remember, you know, the, the Nick Fairley or the Derek Brown. There's really no dominant force up front like that. Um, if you get somebody like that, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe it's from the transfer portal. I'm almost wondering if you get one of these freshmen that comes in to step up and all of a sudden, you know, people just are talking about how great he is. I mean, sometimes you get these guys that come in and contribute right away. So, I don't know where that comes from, but um, that was certainly somebody that you were thinking could be in that role, and um, tough to see him from from my side move on. And now Auburn not only has to get somebody to replace him on that defensive line in the transfer portal more than likely, but we know that they still need to go and get someone at the new jack position, uh, that they're still short one guy. So uh, Auburn should be, in my opinion, Jack, should be pretty pretty uh, active in the transfer portal when it comes to the defensive side of the football for the big guys up front. I'll tell you what, one guy that I'm, I'm hearing more and more about, and you know, you kind of have to pump the brakes on it, but... Um, I've, I've heard a lot about Powell Gordon this offseason, um, and I know he's been playing okay. more of the, of the inside role, but I really wonder if he moves over to edge at some point if Auburn can't really figure that out because um, that was what he played well in high school. He's an Auburn high school guy. Um, that was really he, he played that really well in high school. He was uh, kind of one of the more underrated prospects that Auburn picked up, and so I'm interested to see um, if there's any development there, maybe if Auburn can't go find a superstar out of the portal. But obviously I think you got to look towards proven commodities before you can try uh, those guys that really don't have much experience at all on a field. Yeah, I uh, my only concern, I know that that's kind of his skill set. That's what he did at Auburn High. It's been talked about. We Cam Riley did a really good interview earlier this spring talking about Powell Gordon potentially playing that jack position, uh, playing down and rushing the uh, passer. My concern is our biggest knock on a guy like Dylan Brooks is Dylan Brooks is small, and he looks small, and he cannot put on and hold enough weight to be a guy who can play the run and the pass at that jack. jack Do what? He's got the, I don't know if you've seen that online, but he's got the, the small ankles. Ah, yeah. How Gordon <laughs> is two inches shorter and twenty three pounds lighter. So that is my that is my concern. Is that if we say Dylan Brooks is a little light 
and uh, that's been a concern. I really worry about that with Powell Gordon. Yeah, and I think that's a fair comparison. And that's why I say I think you got to go look at proven commodities first. I mean, can you find anybody that has done this, that has proven themselves? Maybe you get a guy from a group of five school that was a starter that was that was really good, um, and he's just wanting to move up a level and, you know, can kind of display that same sort of athleticism at the next level. Um, maybe you get a guy like that. I don't know. Maybe you get um, just a match made in heaven where it's a guy that had a really great year at a Power 5 school and – um, just I don't know if he wants to move closer to home or something like that. You know, you never know what you're going to get out of the portal. Um, it's unlikely that you get this big superstar that comes in, but I think Auburn's going to be looking for him. Um, I'm just trying to figure out kind of on that defensive line, you know, who do you plug in now that you've got guys gone? Obviously, Keldrick Falk comes in. is going to be, um, you'd think, is going to at least contribute next year in some way. Um, the other guy I'd be looking at in Auburn's freshman class, you've got Deron Reed. That'll be here uh, come summer. Once again, those summer guys, it's hard to get them to play right away just because they hadn't been in the system for very long. Um, but I know a lot of Auburn coaches really like his measurables and uh, how he views the game, how he sees the game. So um, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm excited to see uh, when the portal opens up this weekend who Auburn really sets in motion after, who they, who they really set their sights on. And Jack, not only was this breaking news during the show that Martavius Collins commits to Auburn football, the tight end, former Alabama commit, now commits to Hugh Freeze and Auburn football. The other breaking news we had about 30 minutes ago was for Auburn basketball. This one not as exciting. This one not as positive, I should say. Uh, the four-star uh, Peyton Marshall, the seven-foot, 300-pound basketball center in the class of 2024, has decommitted from Bruce Pearl and Auburn. Does this worry you at all, the fact that uh, he's no longer going to be coming to the Plains? The only thing that worries me is not being able to see a seven foot, 300 and some odd pound guy on Auburn's team. I mean, that would be, that'd be, that's like Shaq levels of, of how big he is. Um, no, I, you know, it's a loss. It certainly is. I do think that Marshall in the SEC was probably going to be more of a developmental piece. Um, you know, he's a big body, he's a great rebounder. Um, and he makes a, he's able to make a lot of putbacks and dunks and things like that, but um, don't really know how much of an offensive game he had. He, he's going to be kind of more of just a physical specimen under there that Auburn was going to kind of have to move along. What I wonder is, is this signs of something to come for Auburn? Is this a maybe a, another commitment of some sort? Maybe is it a Auburn's found a guy that they believe they can have around for a while and they've gotten good news on him? You know, you never know with stuff like that, but um, yeah, that's what that's what I'd be looking forward to. I do love, I, I did love the fact that he was just this this hunk of man, if you will, that uh, was going to come into Auburn. Can't believe I used that phrase. Um, but that on the radio, either. on the radio, <laughs> yeah, I know for real. But he was going to come in and you know be this just mountain of a dude underneath for Auburn. Um, I mean, bigger than you know Dylan Cardwell, even. I mean, bigger than Austin Wiley. You know, he was going to be probably the biggest guy that you've seen on Auburn's roster, and it was going to be entertaining to watch. Um, you know, I don't know if Auburn is fully out of it with him, but I do wonder if they have kind of moved on because they feel good about some other guys that, that may be higher on their board. I wonder that as well. I, I This feels like, a at this point in time, to me, a decision that is made because maybe, maybe the ceiling on this 24 recruiting class might be a little higher and mm-hmm. the staff believes they can go out and um, continue to upgrade. Maybe a, a guy, um, you know, 
one guy that Auburn fans probably should get familiar with, and, and I don't know exactly where his recruitment is now, but a guy that Auburn's been after, Flory Badunga, he's a top five player, I think a top three player in the 24 class. He's much more of an agile big man. Um, about, I think he's about 6'10", 6'11", Cardi, you, you may have to check me on that. But um, He's 6'9", you know, he's, I think is what he's listed Okay, at. so he's not quite as tall, but he, he's still, well, um, he's but, still but pretty big. I think I've watched some clips of him. I think he could be kind of a uh, Adama Sanogo or a or Cliff Amori uh, at UConn and Rutgers, which are guys that Auburn went after. Mm-hmm. These guys that may not be the tallest big men, but are really strong, really athletic. I think Baidunga might also have a little bit of a shot that he can uh, rely on as well. And I think if Auburn chooses to go there and they get him over Marshall. Uh, you know, I think, and not to, you know, not to be negative towards Marshall or anything, but I think that's a trade Auburn would take. I think one hundred percent. It's an upgrade. It's the number two player yeah. in the two four seven composite, Jack. I think you would drop the guy who's eighty seventh yeah. or eighty second for the number two player every time. If that's I believe you what would the move do, is. Yeah. That's an upgrade if I'm Auburn. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and, and maybe that's what's going on. Maybe it's not. We just have to wait and see. But breaking down all the breaking news that's been happening here on On the Line, a commitment for Auburn football, a decommitment for Auburn basketball. But Auburn baseball heads to Tuscaloosa this weekend. Jack, you hang on with us. We'll talk about that as we wrap up the Friday edition of On the Line when we come back here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line. On ESPN 1067, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line, it's been a busy one here on ESPN 1067. I'm Jacob Goins, joined with Carter Bird, and Jack Cutton is joining us on the phone lines for just a couple of more minutes. If you missed any of today's show, it's been a banger today. Please go and catch up with the podcast, ESPNAU.com, right after the show today, commercial-free, or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. We've talked the Braves. We've talked the transfer portal. We've talked about the difference in college basketball, college football, when it comes to transfer portal and high school recruiting, we had a really, really good segment about that to start this hour. And then breaking news has been flying in off the hook. So it's been a great show. If you missed any of it, go and catch up with the podcast tonight, this weekend at ESPNAU.com under the podcast center. But Jack, Auburn baseball on the road at Alabama this weekend in desperate need for some wins, man. Yeah, this is a big one. Um, going into this series, we're going to throw Tommy Vale tonight. Um, you know, he's a guy that has been a little bit up and down in his starts, but for the most part, he's probably been Auburn's most consistent uh, starter on the season, maybe behind Tanner Bauman. Uh, and then tomorrow night, they're going to go with the freshman. They're going to go with Drew Nelson, who got off to a rocky start to open this season, but uh, I think he's put in some work, and you know, he's been in contact with the staff, and I think that they feel good about running him out there again. Um, you know, they're going to go TBA for Sunday I would imagine that uh, you have a guy like Will Cannon in the bullpen, um, and if you've got a chance to win a couple of those first two games, you're going to throw him. Um, if not, if, if for some reason you know you you lose the first two and you're looking for one on Sunday, I bet they would throw Cannon to start. Um, and then if not, you may have a, a guy like Ballman to come in on Sunday and and give you Sunday. So really, the biggest thing for Auburn this weekend, and as we've he's said for most of the season now. 
it's going to be the pitching. The bats are there. Um, they just got to have the arms come on. They got to have them come alive. I think the piece of good news, I, I'm not sure on this, but it sounds like Chase Isbell uh, could be back in a limited role. And so I think that they're going to be able to throw him. Um, more good news for Auburn fans. You got Joseph Gonzalez, who threw a bullpen yesterday, threw one today. Um, think that those went pretty well. And so uh, should be gearing up for a start here in the next few weeks. That would be big if Auburn could get some of these consistent R's back. Just give them maybe five or six more innings a weekend to get through some of these these late innings that teams are scoring against Auburn and, and kind of putting it out of reach. Jack, quickly, your prediction, Auburn at Alabama, a three-game series this weekend where, again, Auburn, they're looking to pick up some wins coming down this home stretch so they have a chance to play in Hoover. I'm optimistic. Uh, Alabama's got a couple of guys out this weekend that I think could help Auburn. Um, of course, Auburn's got some pitchers out, but they're getting guys back. You've got Sheehan back. You've got Isbel back. I think Auburn wins the series. I'll go 2-1 to one, Auburn. Um, be helpful to get tonight, and then if you get tomorrow, it's all hands on deck for a sweep Sunday because you need every win you can get. Yeah, no doubt about it. Jack, we appreciate you, man. It's always fun to talk to you. I hate you couldn't be in the studio, but we appreciate you being on the phones. Jack, over right, under, guys. I got one question for you quickly. Yeah. Over under 29 and a half walks for Auburn's uh, Auburn's pitching staff this weekend. Ooh, man, what's that per game? That's a little under 10 per game. Um, Auburn's walked like I'll, I'll 53. I'll, I'll give them under. I'll go under. Wow. There you go. <laughs> All right, Jack, we appreciate it, man. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you later. Again, if you missed any of today's show, it's been a great show. Breaking news all over the place. Go and check out the podcast, ESPNAU.com. Come back on Monday, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 106.7. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.